I suspect anybody who's ever come across it has always loved it. Um, is, is it one that you, like myself and maybe a lot of people, came across in competitive piping days or had you come across it since then? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I first would have learned that tune uh, in the pipe band that I grew up in and we played it as part of a competition set. Yeah, in a, in a much more, you know, competition style, you know, dot mm-hmm. cut. Uh, and then I brought the tune. I can't remember exactly how uh, how the tune came up as a possibility for Rise and Go, but I had brought the tune to the group, and then we sort of bounced back and forth about how we were going to play it. Was it going to be played in a rounder style or that more dot cut style? And mm. we finally settled on the, the rounder style on the album. And I don't know. There was something about it smoothing it out in that round kind of way. It, it felt kind of magical to us. Yeah. Oh, it <laughs> but, is. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but it did definitely. I mean, that my first um, my first encounters with it would have been in a pipe band. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that it, it like I, it's not like I ever stopped loving the tune, but your that that rounder style. I hadn't I hadn't heard it played that way before. It definitely like uh, reinvigorated the tune for me, and I, I've oh, that's great. Cut up my small pipes and and played with it a little bit. So I appreciate you kind of dusting dusting it off for me in that way personally I, I really like the way you did it thank you that that's fantastic you know it, it's funny um you know sort of old habits die hard of course so mm. you know when, we, when i brought it to the band i i almost felt like i was committing some kind of um tre- treasonous act to sort <laughs> yeah. of round it out like that um and it, i it really did it took me a while to sort of accept that this is okay i'm allowed to do this um and I'm, I'm glad that we we did end up going that route although it's funny i i still work with the pipe band that i grew yeah. up in i still play with it and um it's a grade four group right now, and, and they're playing two parts of, of it um, as part of an MSR. Yeah. And I, one of my students who was learning it at the time, um, I said, whatever you do, don't listen to the version on Meeting Place <laughs> because that's not how you're going to play it, right? It'll yeah. s- screw you up. Yeah, or at least up. don't listen to it until you've learned it the other way first. <laughs> yeah, till, till after competition day, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, that, now, do you think, is that part of, like, I've heard some whistle players and some illin pipers before s- refer to themselves as recovering great Highland bagpipers. Huh. Um, yeah. is, is that part of it? Like, that, that sense that, like, oh, if you're not playing, you know, the correct and embellishments or if you're not you know keeping the dot cut whatever it is you know that you're somehow being bad <laughs> is that yeah part of the recovery <laughs> i know what you're saying yeah i'm i, I not maybe but not really for me because yeah. for, for me strangely enough um like piping has sort of branched off into all these different avenues but as it's gone into all these different avenues like where I started with Highland Pipes has still kept going. So it's not like I sort of uh, learned to play the Highland Pipes and then sort of put that down and left it completely. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm still playing Highland Pipes. um, Maybe not as much as I once was, but I still playing regularly. And, but, but, you know, bellows piping and illin piping and whistle playing has all sort of blossomed off of that, Mm -hmm. but they've all kept going sort of in tandem. So one of the things, um, one of the things that I actually really think about a lot, um, maybe too much because I drive myself a little crazy with it, is is how to sort of treat each one of those as their own unique instrument. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I have I have students for all of those instruments, and I talk to them a lot about this. I, you know, especially the small pipe students that I have who are just interested in small pipes. They're not trying to become competitive Highland pipers. Mm. Um, you know, it's perfectly fine to be a Highland piper who gets a set of small pipes and then plays their small pipes exactly the same way that they play their Highland pipes, you know, Mm -hmm. same embellishment, same ornamentation, um, same repertoire, maybe even. Um, 
that's fine but for me i've i just i kind of feel like they're different instruments and i want to treat them as such and so you know more and more and more i feel not only happy to sort of break the rules and not play the right embellishments but but i feel like i'm actually sort of for myself anyway playing them more correctly or more the way that i want them to sound um you know again not that there's any right or wrong way to go about it but but sort of finding my own style for for those bellows pipes so i yeah there definitely was a time where i felt like oh if i take a highland pipe tune and put it on the small pipes oh do i have so much liberty but man i don't feel that way anymore i just (laughs) broken the shackles (laughs) exactly exactly um there's a couple years ago Brigitte campbell was at the piper's gathering in connecticut and i I took a trip. She, she and Blackie O'Connell, the great Illin Piper, were there. And I, I had never actually been to the event before, but I took a trip down so that I could meet both of them because um, I, I really admire both of their playing. Yeah. And so I got a chance to sit down and talk with both of them about their approaches to things. And my conversation with Brigida was really interesting um, because, you know, she very much plays the small pipes in her own style, too, oh, right? Yeah, you know, she, absolutely. you know, it's, it's, it's her own thing. It's not, um, and, and so we talked about that and sort of um, how, how small pipes are their own instrument and can be treated as such. And it sort of, it, it validated some of the things that I had already been feeling and doing, mm. but wasn't sure, you know, wasn't sure if it was how it was viewed by other people. And then after that conversation, I thought, oh, I don't really care. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm playing them the way that I that I like to play them, and I think it's it's legitimate. So yeah, yeah. So they they've really, uh, you know, all those pipes are still going in my head and in my repertoire and 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 that. But I I kind of treat them all as separate entities to some degree, with some oh, overlap, of course. Yeah, but they all sure, yeah. have their own uniqueness to them. So yep. no, I I love hearing that because it was it was her album the real that that made that click in my head as well like but until then my small pipes had been mini highland pipes mm-hmm. and and after hearing that it was like this is its own thing this is totally yeah. its own thing yeah right mm-hmm. right 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 yeah it, it's interesting I, and i i sort of i took a kind of circu- circuitous route myself because i i played highland pipes for years and grew up in a pipe band and that um and then really kind of got into whistle playing and illin pipes before I got serious about playing small pipes. Oh, so, so rather than sort of like the gradual progression, you kind of jumped to the other end and then came back yeah. to the other way. Yeah, I was hopping around a little bit. And and so because I had a background in illin pipes and whistle playing, I think that also helped me sort of, by the time I got sort of serious about small pipes, um, sort of helped me mm. incorporate some of those other styles into it to, yeah. you know, it, it, it made it easier for me to sort of get away from just a, a strict Highland pipe style of playing yeah, small for, pipes. For so many of us who pick up small pipes, our only point of reference is great Highland pipe bagpipes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, well let, maybe would you be willing to dig into that just a little bit more, Michael? I want to know maybe just a little bit of a sort of biopic. Like, um, you grew up in a pipe band. That's the Mohawk Valley uh, pipe band, right? Or yeah, the Mohawk Valley Frasers. Yep. You you, you want to know something? I, <laughs> I I in in the early times of scrolling your YouTube channel, I started to realize that I could almost date your videos in chronological order <laughs> based on the apparent age of your mohawk uh valley pipe uh, uh t-shirt do you remember oh. the one i'm talking about it's black with yes lettering on it. <laughs> yes yeah 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 oh that's too funny but yeah but i, I want to know about like uh you know kind of where you grew up how you encountered bagpipes what got you into that pipe band kind of maybe give me some chronology that could maybe walk me up to um you know kind of kind of up toward this album uh maybe sure 
Yeah. So I uh, I started playing pipes. Uh, it's been like 25 years now or so. Um, I grew up in Utica, New York, which is kind of it's central New York. It's a little about an hour east of Syracuse. Syracuse is a, a reference point most people know in mm-hmm. New York or. or have a chance of knowing anyway. It's not. Um, it's not like like my uh, my friend Andy from the Las Vegas pipe band would be very annoyed if I you know like oh Utica that's like what uh, three blocks east of Times Square. Or, yeah right, right? <laughs> exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah it's uh yeah many hours from New York City right yeah, gotcha. um, <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of smack in the middle of the state and it's a it's a city but it's a small small city um, great city I love it it's still home for me in many ways. Um, even though I don't live there right now. And um, when I was a kid, I had, honestly, I had very little musical interest at all, like in, in anything. That surprised um, my, me. I know, and and me too. I think it was kind of there lingering in the background. You know, I kind of like to sing to myself and that. But I never I never really had much musical experience when I was a kid. I, mm. I went to, um, you know, my school didn't really have much of a music program. Um, and, you know, so I just wasn't exposed to a lot, a lot of opportunities to get involved in music. So I didn't at least have a conscious interest in music. Um, and then when I was like 10, um, a family friend, it was actually a friend of my sister's more closely, but she was living in Ireland at the time. Um, he passed away. And so since she was in Ireland living, um, my parents went to, the, to his funeral and took me along because I was 10 years old. And... Um, as we were walking up to the church, kind of around the side of this big stone church, um, I could hear pipes for mm-hmm. the first time. And he, he was a piper himself. His name was Frank Dugan. And and I, I knew he was a piper, and I'd even seen him play the pipes before, but nothing had really clicked for me. Um, and then, what for whatever reason, you know, um, as we were walking up to the church that day, as we got closer and closer and closer, I heard this sound and it just like grabbed me by the Mm. throat or by the heart, I guess. Mm. Um, And I was like, that was it from that moment forward. So we got to the front of the church and there were four pipers standing at the door. Um, So Frank, uh, the the man who had passed away, he was one of the founding members of the Mohawk Valley Frasers. And standing at the door were four other pipers who I would eventually um, come to play with in the Frasers, um, and two on either side of the door. And just walking, walking through them to get into the church, I was just, you know, totally awestruck. And I, you know, it, it, it literally, it was like getting bit by a bug, and it just never, ever went away. Well, what a setting um, for it. I mean, in uh, Ireland, that big stone church, like every. Yeah. Church. Well, this was actually my my sister was living in Ireland. This was in New York. Um, oh, I see. That the, I see. This okay. happened. Yeah. We we sort of went um, in her my in her stead. Vision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. I like it. I like it. This is how. Uh, legends are born you know yeah, that's right um uh yeah so she was living in ireland and you know we kind of went uh, oh, went because yeah. uh, uh, we were still back home in, in new york but um so anyway um the four guys at the church that day um jim clough ed nickerson gil mason and carl sturdivant were all guys that i would later go go on to play with and carl sturdivant was ended up being the man who taught me how to play mm. um I, you know, I spent a little bit of time saying to my parents afterwards, you know, I really want to do this. And it was, you know, I had shown no musical interest at all ever before. So it was mm. kind of like, okay, yeah, that's nice, honey. Um, and it never was taken too terribly seriously. But after, you know, this went on for a long time, I'm talking like at least a year or more that I was saying, no, I really want to do this. Yeah. Um, my sister ended up moving home from Ireland. 
and again she was kind of friends with the folks who were in this this scene so she got me in touch with with Carl the guy who ended up teaching me to play and uh, kind of really beautifully um, the the wife of the man who had passed away Frank Dugan his wife Pat Dugan um, she loaned me his practice chanter Frank's practice chanter mm. so that I could learn to start playing and with the the caveat she said if, if any of her grandchildren ever wanted to learn I'd have to give it back mm. um, but I'm, I'm looking at Exactly, exactly. Um, but she very graciously gave it to me, and I'm I'm looking at that practice chanter right now. It's oh, really? On the, it's, yeah, it's sitting on the table here. It's what I've played forever. Well, you still so never I, do know. One of her grandkids uh, that's might right. decide to pick it up. That's I might get a phone call someday. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So anyway, um, they got me in touch with Carl. Carl started teaching me lessons. He was just a wonderful, wonderful, generous guy. Taught me really, really well. Um, and then got me involved with the with the Frasers, with the band. So at that point, I, I joined the band probably about the age of 12. Tw- 12 is when I started really taking lessons yeah. um, and joined the band later that year. And then the band was under the direction of Jim Clough, still is. He was one of the guys that I heard that first day. And Jim has really become uh, a mentor over the the past all of the years that I've played in, in yeah. the band. He's a wonderful teacher and piper and um, great leader, and I've learned learned a lot from him. He's been one of my, my probably my biggest uh, influence in terms of, of my Highland piping, and, you know, that's obviously spread out into a lot of my other piping, so. Sure, yeah. It, so, it sounds like you've managed to like like for a lot of and I I don't, I don't hold anything again like for me it's like man it, however you get it you get it and that's good you know but for yeah. a lot of us we end up falling into um, maybe not the very best instruction in the world when we get started mm, you know mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it sounds like you you managed to fall into a, a high quality crowd yeah you know it, it, I've thought about this many time many times over the years how lucky I was to sort of be you know, in that place at that time, because mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Um, at that time, Jim Clough was, he was running the Frasers, but he was also one of the founding members of the Oren Moore Pipe Band, um, which at that time, you know, he and Donald Lindsay ran that together, and it was at the top of grade two in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim was going and teaching at all the big summer schools alongside, you know, the, the big names, Alistair Gillis and Angus McCall and all those guys. And, you know, both he was already a good teacher and was bringing all of that information from summer schools and seeing the pros and bringing that back and mm. so between him and my my first teacher Carl um it, it really was for you know a small little upstate New York pipe band um it was a really wonderful environment to start piping in I got to be around a lot of other good pipers um I got to hear a lot of good piping and it really um, I, I was I couldn't read a lick of music when I first started to play. So this so was I, your intro I would, to, to everything musically. Yeah, absolutely. It was my introduction to everything, and you know I was just kind of a, an audio sponge since I couldn't read music. It was just I was watching everyone and listening to everyone and mm. just soaking it all up. And there were just there was an incredible number of good pipers around me at that time. Um, and and also a handful of other people my age coming up into the pipe band at that oh, time, that's which was a big deal. Which, yeah, which was was really wonderful too. Um, you know, many of them moved away or stopped playing. You know, before I did, but still, those first kind of formative years, there was a number of people my own age, and that was that was really great too. Yeah, um, I, I I got to learn in a in a high school program, so I had a lot of mm. friends and peers, and and w- like our our local pipe band that, that that I help run now is like 
we do have some kids and teenagers in the group and but i and other adults are always kind of just stressed about finding more so that they'll have friends yeah. so that they'll stay yeah. because you know if they yep. if it's just them and a bunch of old people we're not cool darn <laughs> it you know we can't keep sure. around <laughs> yeah absolutely no it's true it and it's it's hard um you know our band has gone the Frasers have gone through you know lots of iterations over the years um you know new people you know older people but it's always been a really nice mix um a lot we've been really lucky too a lot of families have gotten involved mm-hmm. you know where a, a child wants to learn and then um you know a parent says okay well you know I'll do this too I I can think of one family in our band right now where the the son is a great piper so dad became one of the bass drummers mom's one of the snare drummers mm-hmm. you know so it, it became Beautiful. kind of a family affair <laughs> which is which is really nice too yeah. but it's it's a great it's a really great organization that I there there are very few organizations out there like the Frasers, and I've been incredibly lucky to be a part of them for yeah. for as long as I have. So well, and it's it's significant too not to push you ahead too much in the story, but I know from reading your bio that you've got multiple degrees in music performance and instruction and theory, et cetera. That so this is like this is where it starts, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, it really was. I mean, that was the only musical thing that I did for really you know, the beginning of my musical life. And then it wasn't until I was kind of into high school that um, it was the organist at my church, uh, who is now one of my dearest friends. His name's Randy Davis. He, he I, don't, I don't know what he recognized in me or saw in me, but he, he saw something and said, you know, I, I think you could sing. And I said, what are you talking about? Um, but anyway, he, he sort of, he was the one who started to teach me music theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, my high school didn't have much of a music program. So he started to privately teach me music theory sort of some basic voice lessons and then then hooked me up with a really wonderful voice teacher woman by the name of Anita Furman who really kind of launched me off as as a singer and then that's when you know after a couple of years of that decided okay I'm going to go to music school so I did my undergraduate um, I went just as music education to start but then I added a performance degree while I was there so I did a double major um, then left you know once I was done with undergraduate got a teaching job taught elementary school um, taught everything from kindergarten to sixth grade, mm. general music and chorus and band and did all of that. Uh, and then I went back to school, yeah, for my master's degree. I did a master's in, in vocal performance. So this was all, you know, more classical stuff. You know, really the singing was more geared towards, you know, operatic stuff. Oh, I, I've been like I've that. been trying to find videos of you singing opera <laughs> so that I could put the audio in here. I haven't been able to find any yet. <laughs> uh, it, no, they're, they are... Probably non-existent. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean that was and that was a huge part of my life, and it really interesting in those years. Like my piping life and my singing life um, were really kind of two completely separate things, mm. and w- weirdly so. Like I almost felt like they couldn't intermingle. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I, I did my master's degree, and then by the time I finished my master's degree, I you know, for various reasons, kind of decided I wasn't sure how much I was going to keep singing. Um, But, you know, I I still do, and I still teach singing and that, but, um, you know, it's not quite as active a part of my life. But but all of that sort of built in this this background in classical music and classical training. And then I started to see, like, you know, I actually could apply that to my piping life. So I'd say some of the beginnings of that, this this friend of mine, Randy, he, um, you know, as a church musician, for various events, we'd have instrumentalists in that, and we're fortunate um, to have a really good music program at this church in Utica. Um, so 
you know, he provided me with opportunities to, you know, write stuff for pipes and orchestra. Mm. Um, so I forget what year it was, but the first time I did this, um, actually, this one wasn't at the church. It was with a local choral group. Um, I wrote sort of a suite for pipes and orchestra, arranging some tunes. Um, and it was great. I, that really, that opened up a whole new door to me in terms of like what I could do with the two sides of my back background. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's great. I've done a handful of stuff for pipes and orchestra, um, some, some writing just for orchestra, no, nothing, you know, mind blowing or c terribly complicated, but you know, nice, like stuff that incorporates that highlights the pipes in yeah. a, in a, another setting. Um, and that, that's kind of been a, a bit of a mission of mine, um, on and off over the years is to sort of like promote the pipes as it, you know, as musical instruments, as, as something that can be in a lot of different settings, not just something you see once a year, uh, you know, in a parade or right. uh, at a funeral or something like that. So, you know, really kind of trying to promote them as the musical instrument that they are. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a book here on my shelf. I'm trying to remember, ah, oh, man, Michael, I think might be his first name as well. Dr. Welch, Dr. Welch, he does. Oh, the, yeah, uh, Matt, I think it, Matt, Matt, I think that's it is. It. Matt yes. Welch, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right. I can only see his last name on the spine of the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, he, he's, I, I've been excited by listening to him talk about similar things about having, you know, like having worked with people like Philip Glass and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and trying to like kind of get bagpipes into uh, sort of other scenes other than just parades. Um, yep. Absolutely. It's interesting that this to me, Michael, though, that, that you, I feel like maybe this is an, an incorrect perception that I have. Um, <laughs> so maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but I feel like, if if you come across a person who has advanced degrees in music and also plays the bagpipes, it's probably the the music theory, the piano, the 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 organ, the orchestra classes, etc., that come first, and then they pick up bagpipes as a curiosity at some point along their journey, hmm, rather than it being bagpipes as sort of like a foundation or starting point. So may maybe I'm wrong about that impression, but I I feel like this isn't like I in a similar way that it's interesting that you took the route route of going from Highland pipes over mm -hmm. to whistle and illum pipes and then back to small pipes it feels like you've you've taken a um a a, a path less traveled <laughs> in yeah. this, this musical journey of yours yeah perhaps um i i don't know i don't know i you know i do know people who have sort of have gone the same route that i did you know mm -hmm. had pipes first and then did more got more involved in music but i know people who've done the opposite too i think for myself i'm i'm thankful that i went the route that i did um you know pipes being as much as as much as pipes are a musical instrument and you know we want to promote them as being a musical instrument right up there with anybody else any other instrument they do have their oddities and their quirks too for sure yeah um and so i think i don't know i i got involved in piping sort of with no preconceived notions um yeah. you know i just i just uh, took it for what it was and was taught and accepted that whereas i think for for myself if i had sort of come into it with a classical musician's eye and then tried to pick it up you bring with that all these all these other um mm. I, I don't know per perceptions of what music is or how things are supposed to go so you know e even just style styles like you know the style of music we play on the pipes can be so different from yeah, from a sure. lot of Downright classical music sometimes yeah right exactly or or at least you know i think a lot of of classically trained musicians might look at pipe music you know a, a march or or a jig or something on the page and say oh it that's looks simple you know and yeah. and, and in many ways 
many tunes are sort of have a simpleness about them but it's but getting the style correct yeah, that sort swing of, coming from that's not on the paper <laughs> exactly right yeah playing it so that it actually sounds like it ought to be played yeah. um is is another thing too that you can't just get off of the page and yeah. i think sometimes musicians who come to pipes have, not not always but it, it can sometimes be a barrier or, or there can be an extra hurdle that you need to get over um, if you're a, sort of a classically trained musician mm. coming to pipes after that because just you know the style is just so different or even the, learning the style of the embellishments you know I've known a lot of folks who have have learned pipes um, either as you know often as adults mm-hmm. and they, they played another instrument back in the day you know in school in, in a band or something yeah. like that and you know even something as simple as the idea of of grace notes you know when when a flute player sees grace notes you know they, they come well before the beat you know yeah um whereas in piping not so much they're sort of defining our beat for us so mm-hmm. it's yeah it's just it's a different style so I'm, I'm kind of thankful that i learned pipes first and sort of had that style mm. you know in my gut um from the get-go yeah, it is interesting to think about how, like, because bec- just just mass, just so many more people doing work in sort of like the rest of music. I guess mm. if you were going to have to come to something where bagpipes maybe require more of a feel it out kind of mm-hmm. approach, and there's a lot of educational materials available for bagpipes, of course, but there's even more of a wealth of education available for classical styles of Western music. Sure. And so sure. I guess maybe 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 this is, I, I can see what you mean to have bagpipes kind of in your gut, kind of in a, in a natural yeah. way. Maybe makes the sort of somewhat cerebral approach to learning other stuff. Uh, maybe that's more. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and there's just there's so much of piping that like you can't you know there's there's more resources out there than ever before, and that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, but. Um, I, I have a as an example a student that I started with recently he had before he started taking lessons he started you know kind of looking stuff up online and seeing like you know can I go this alone um, and after just a couple of lessons he was like oh <laughs> you know when, yeah. when he heard somebody you know embe- it was I forget what embellishment but he was learning some embellishment like a D throw or something like that and you know the fact that I can read this how to do this on the page and I understand it somewhat but then to hear how it's actually supposed to go really changes yeah you know how it works so there there's yeah there's just an element of you kind of have to live it and, and experience it in piping mm. um and that's why too you know i was kind of in some ways thankful that i couldn't even read music when i started to play the pipes you know mm. i just i just had to soak it all in i just yeah. i listened to every recording i could get my hands on i watched the other pipers around me um and i just it just yeah really seeped into into my being Mm. That, that's interesting too there's there's kind of this the you know sort of the uh we kind of hold on to this idea of the the, the tradition of bagpipes you know the uh oh what is it cant rock the style mm. of, of mm-hmm. learning pre-written music you know right and, right um, you kind of got to experience the the sort of progression of music learning uh that we still remember within piping uh within your own life you got to yeah. kind of learn by ear first yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, in many ways, I was very, very thankful for that. You know, there definitely did become a point where there was somewhat of a hindrance where I wished I could have read music. Sure. Um, it would have helped with certain things. I would have avoided some mistakes, too. You know, uh, there were certain things that I was just trying to figure out, how did they do that, you know, by mm. ear? And I did it wrong and then had to had to correct myself. Um, but, but in general, I'm very thankful. I mean, you know, obviously, I went on to music school. I learned to read music in that. But still, today... Um, I'm much happier to learn a tune 
you know, uh, it, it, unless it's a, a you know something I have to play in a competitive setting where I've mm -hmm. got to you know play it a certain way. If it's just a tune I'm learning, or if it's a tune I'm gonna play with um, you know with a rise and go or something like that, I'd much rather hear it and learn it by ear than yeah. than see the notes on the page. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. It makes sense. Yeah. And and speaking of which, let's let's stick some more music in here. Um, sure. I want to play a little bit of may, maybe a good chunk of track three, uh, okay. which is uh, Waltzes and Reels. Um, mm. Is that what you called it? No, you call it, uh, yeah, Waltzes and Reels. That's right. Okay. Uh, this <laughs> is the Jewels of the Ocean, the the humors of Tula. T Tula? Tula? Uh, Tula. Tula. And uh, yeah. Last Summer's Reel. Um, right. And the like the reason I want to play a good chunk of this is because this one, this one strikes me as being an especially great uh, set. Like the tunes, mm. I feel like, really complement and accent each other by striking this balance between similarity and difference. You know, you can tell when it goes from one tune to the next, but they also belong together. Um.
have you organized competition sets for your pipe band? Um, did you organize this set? You know, kind of maybe what's what's been your your you, you did tell me a little bit about organizing stuff with orchestra. You know, uh, yeah. is that uh, I don't know. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I I love I, I love doing that. Um, you know, yes, I've done done it for both. Um, you know, in the pipe band for the last ten years or so, um, I've been running one of the competition sections. So you know sort of the a lot of the musical arrangements um sort of fall to me but at the same time in in the pipe band setting i rarely ever do them totally alone um i'll usually kind of sketch things out and and say you know these are the tunes that i think will work sometimes sometimes i've got an idea how they're going to go together you know right off the get-go sometimes i say i know these are going to go together but something needs to be you know massaged a little bit to mm -hmm. make them work together um so I've been really thankful um, to have to have ears and and minds that I trust <laughs> in the band um, to bounce ideas off of, and almost always in in the Frasers, it's been a bit of a group effort. You know, um, Jim Clough, who I mentioned, and a, another friend of mine, Jason Madison, who played in the band for a number of years, I'll almost always say, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking of for the new music. Here's how I think it'll go together. What are your thoughts?" Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really value it because sometimes I'll I'll be I'll think something's a real winner, and they'll just kind of say, mm, "No, you're going to have to rethink that," yeah. um, or, or they'll they'll think of some a, a possible problem or a better tune that I hadn't thought of before or a different way to do it. So I I really love putting together new music, and like I say, I probably do the bulk of it, but I really like to get the feedback from other people. Yeah, um, and and. I think the the best stuff that I've ever put together in the pipe band has been a result of it sort of going through the review process um, with with other people, mm. and it's very much very much the same in Arise and Go too. Um, there are a handful of sets that either my bandmates, um, the fiddler is my wife Ellie, and our friend Tim is the guitar player, um, and there have been occasions where either she or Tim or I have said, I've got this idea for a set, here are the tunes. And, you know, it's basically just been, it, we've run with it and it's been unchanged from there. That has it's happened. Perfect out the gate. Yeah, I mean, that has happened yeah. before. Um, I mean, with little tweaks and things, but for the most part, it's, it's, it's kind of ready to go from the beginning. But I think it's kind of the same thing where our best sets have been where one of us brings sort of the core concept Mm. And 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 it's interesting. In Arise and Go, we we sort of I, I love the collaborative process with the two of them because we're all very different, um, both personality wise and musical background wise, mm. and in a lot of different ways. And so we really <laughs> there's a lot of checks and balances in the group, um, you know. So we really bring different perspectives and. Um, and ideas and so sometimes like I say it's it's somebody's come with a core idea and maybe there's some tweaks or one tune gets changed or something sometimes it's and we can you couldn't do this in every group I suppose but with us you it really works well sometimes we just start with an idea for sort of a vibe or a feeling or mm. you know like if it depends like are we thinking of planning something for a performance or are we thinking of planning something for an album or both um, you know it could be we need something a little slower. We need something a little bit more emotive or introspective. We need something that's, you know, gets people up on their feet, you know. And sometimes it starts as vaguely as that with just the, the feeling that we need to go for. And then we work together to build off of that. But I would say most of the time, 
um, there are some one of us brings a core idea, mm. um, or even even a, to, a single tune as a starting point, yeah. um, and then and then we build build from there. But it it's a really interesting process, and I really love I love that process. So so that makes me think of of track six. Um, mm. I, I think it's called on the album Slides and Polkas. Oh yeah. Um, yep. Because and maybe this is an exception to the rule, but maybe this is an example of it. There's a transition in this set. Um, happens about a minute 45. Uh, I think that it's going from, uh, cuz, is it Cuz Teehan's? Cuz Teehan's, yeah. <laughs> uh, from, from Cuz Teehan's number two into, uh, Mer- Merton O'Connor's. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where the transition is happening. I could be getting the tune, the exact tunes wrong. Maybe it's, you know, the transition. No, I think you're right. You're right. After. This transition, I like, I could listen to this all day. This is... Like I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable with praise, but this is maybe like yeah, this is definitely my favorite transition between tunes I've ever heard. It's, oh wow, it's, it's so cool because it, <laughs> it changes. It doesn't just change from tunes; it also changes. Like, is it tempo or is it meter? I'm I'm not exactly sure what's happening there, but there's yeah, something changing it, also that it's just so cool. <laughs> yeah, it changes meter there because the the slides are all in in twelve eight, and then the. Um, the uh, polkas that come after yes. are in two four, but there's there's still like a, a consistent um, there's a consistent beat there, but the the meter changes over there. it where we thought that was great we just thought that was so cool yeah. but we're like you know we're the only ones who are ever gonna even notice that that happened <laughs> <laughs> well. so thank that's nice to to know that it, it caught your ear so oh thank it you. sure did man i absolutely love that and, th- and that's what made me wonder like just having enjoyed it and then thinking about talking to you i just want i just thought like man what how does how does a person or a group come up with something like that like is it purely organic that you were like well we want to go from this tune to this tune so let's just do that and it happens or is this like a careful and precise procedure where you sit down with the score of music in front of you and you go okay when we transition you know from to the new meter we've got to make sure we place what was previous the you know the one in the four needs to go on the the one in the three or something <laughs> you know like how how scientific versus feeling it is, is the right process. right um it's somewhere probably in between those two because um well, I will say, both Ellie and Tim also have really strong backgrounds in classical music. Um, Ellie, when she was growing up, you know, she played classical violin and piano, and also made her living for many years as a trombone teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, she, a trombone you know, she, teacher, really? yeah, she, she's done it all. And now, mind you, she's a. a, a, a uh, botanist now so she didn't you know that that's her her main Very her main cool. job now but yeah she's she's done it all and tim um also did you know a lot of classical violin he went to the he went to ithaca college um where i happen to actually do my master's so we 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 didn't overlap but um anyway we we all have kind of this background in more formalized music 
but also were playing traditional music sort of from a very early age too. Um, So it allows us, I think, to sort of have a certain vocabulary Mm. um, when we need to get into the nitty gritty, but but we we never have we almost never, ever, ever have music in front of us. I mean, if we're stuck for a tune idea and we pull tune books off the shelf and, and you know, look for some ideas, th- then maybe we'd have music in front of us. But that rarely happens. Um, and certainly when we're arranging things, it's all through talking through it. It's not, mm. um, we're never writing anything down. Nothing, nothing on the albums, you know, any of our concerts or our albums or anything. There's no scores for, mm-hmm. for any of that. None of it's written out. Um, but it's just sort of, it's talking through it. And we haven't, like I say, enough of a sort of vocabulary um, in, in formalized music that we can sort of just talk through it that way um, and, and work it out. So, you know, so, sometimes, sometimes it happens like really organically. And then sometimes it does need to be talked through a little bit more. But it's, yeah, it's still quite organic in the sense that, you know, we're just sitting around and working it out together yeah. rather than, you know, you know, writing it out on paper and figuring it all out that way. I, I think so. that I honestly think that that feeling comes through. You know, I feel like if one of you were writing down the score and then bringing it to the others and saying, you know, if you were coming to the others with the score and saying, all right, you know, here's the harmony I want the fiddle to play and here are the chords I want the guitar to play. Here you go. Play it the way I wrote it. It would sound like a pipe solo with accompaniment. But it, what <laughs> yeah, it sounds right. like instead is a group of musicians who are, right. you know, the cohesion is there. Um, yep. I think it Abs- comes through. Absolutely, yeah, and and I think yeah, it allows us to sort of like uh, structure things so that you know we we kind of see each other as you know three equal parts in the group sound. Yeah. Um, you know, even a lot of a lot of like pipe and fiddle, the guitar could very easily sort of become the background accompaniment instrument. But we totally. we don't we don't try to to treat it that way. You know, we try to have all three players sort of be at the fore because each one is sort of like. You know, we're we're all contributing sort of in equal parts. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. The the process that we go through to arrange stuff really allows allows for that for each voice to kind of come through in their own way. Mm. Yeah. Now, what, yeah. now speaking of the other members of the group, um, just just to review real quick, we've got you on pipes, we've got Ellie yeah. on fiddle, and we've got Tim on guitar and some other strings, but also his foot percussion. Yeah. The yeah, foot yeah, yeah. percussion stuff. I want to look at uh, the first track on the on the album, this Acadian reel. Yeah. Um, this one, man, I saw a video of you guys playing this one before I listened to the album, and it it didn't take you know it didn't take more than one listen to be hooked. <laughs>
of suggestion, but like this is the only pipe tune I've ever heard that I, I definitely thought like I could imagine this echoing from the open door of like a Zydeco club in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. Is it? I, I'm not familiar with the tune. Otherwise, is this an original or did? did... No. Um, this is um, a tune from Prince Edward Island. Um, so uh, it, it's interesting, you know, you say that though because of the, you know, the French connection to Prince Edward Island. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a there is a definite connection there with uh, um, with that style of music. So this is a tune by Edward Arsenault. Um, the Arsenault name is throughout Prince Edward Island. Um, you know, I think multiple families with the, the same last name. But um, anyway, they're. they're uh, Edward Arsenault wrote this tune. There was another fiddle fiddler who I believe, if I'm, uh, I'm no expert in this area, but I believe he was a separate fiddler named Eddie Arsenault. So there was Eddie and Edward. <laughs> well, that's not Eddie confusing. was, yeah. Eddie Eddie Arsenault is like, it's a like really... Donald Lindsay's who play bagpipes, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Um, Eddie Arsenault was kind of one of the the legendary fiddle guys from up there, mm. um, and he there's a, a recording of him playing this tune by Edward Arsenault, um, the Acadian reel. Um, that, that really, um, Ellie had, that it's like home recordings. Um, like it's even called like Acadian kitchen party or something like yeah. that. I don't know, but, um, it's, it's recordings made in people's homes. And this is one of the tracks on there where she learned it. Like when she was a kid, she, she learned it off of that. And then when we started playing together, she brought this tune to us. Um, I think she brought it to me first um, and said, what do you think of this? Would this work on the pipes? Because um, that, that often is one of the first steps. If one of them is bringing a tune, you know, they say, yeah. how, how does this go on the pipes? Yeah. <laughs> um, so th- there is somewhat of a filtering process there sometimes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was like, oh, this is, you know, ideal. This is perfect. And then what really makes that tune so special, though, I mean, it's a great tune as it is, but she, it was Ellie's idea to, um, in a lot of, um, Quebecois music and Acadian music, there are tunes that are irregular, like they, they have a, um, an uneven number of beats or measures, Yeah, and it gives them sort of this, um, a really interesting and unique feel, um, where you're, you're kind of caught off guard and, and, and keep, um, ke- keeps you, I don't know, on your toes, I guess. Mm-hmm. But anyway, th- this tune, as it originally was written, was not like that. It was just an even reel. Um, but she had the idea to drop a beat at, uh, I'd have to think about this, I think at the end of the first part. Um, so it, it has this little bit of a hiccup in the middle that you don't normally hear if you find other recordings of, of huh. the Acadian Reel. And for me, that like just sealed the deal. It just made yeah. it that much more like awesome and interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and that that idea was, was all her. But. So I, I know that you've, you'd mentioned that you're working on a tune book. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not putting any pressure on you, of course, <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, is your rendition of Acadian Reel in the tune book? I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be. Um, yeah, the, the tune book, if it ever gets finished, um, will have, not not like every tune Arise and Go has ever played in it, but um, certainly some of the the more trad tunes that that maybe are, are less common for to be heard on the pipes. Yeah. Um, so I do have a handful of them in there, and I, yeah, I do have a, a setting of of the Acadian reel to to go in. It's you know, it's one of those tunes. I have to look though. There, I have a, a couple of tunes I still have to fact check its date on. I think mm. technically uh, I, I might still be under copyright. So that's one. I mean, if you you know, if trad musicians say that their tunes are copyrighted, you know, I don't I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'll look into the legalities of it before I yeah. before I go. But. Um, 
But yeah, it's there'll be a, a well, handful of hey. Of if tunes it's like still that. under copyright, then you know, volume four of of, of Michael Roddy's tunes, you know, down the road when it when there it, you go. it expires, then, yeah. then we'll, we'll get it then. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's it. You got it. <laughs> or, or if you drop enough more beats out of it, then it becomes a new song, yeah, right? <laughs> totally different tune, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Yeah. Well, let me let me pull you over for just a minute to talk about equipment, if you would. Um, sure. Uh, I've got I've got. Let's see here. I've got your off your website. I've got this thing here. Michael plays Hamish and Finn more border pipes. Uh, Nate Banton small pipes. Uh, tell me, pronounce this one. Is it Chilean or Cillian uh, O'Brien? Ki- yeah, Killian O'Brien. Killian. Okay. Yep. Um, they they make your Illum pipes. Um. If you so here's one thing that I've enjoyed. I, I enjoyed watching your. Um, you had a series of videos called. Was it called the Tune Yard? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I felt like were you putting those out during COVID or was it just that I was watching them during COVID? Um, b- uh, it came out during COVID. I, we say, origin- I say during COVID. That's like for so <laughs> long now, right? Like anything you've done in like the last what decade, it's been during COVID. So. Uh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had we had recorded a bunch of those. Um, so we we were living in Ithaca, New York. That's where we met Tim. Um, Ithaca, New York is a really cool town. We lived there. That's where I met Ellie. Actually, um, we lived there for several years, mm. um, and we we moved to Canada during the pandemic. Ellie's Canadian, um, and those videos were in our backyard in Ithaca, and that was the last time Ellie and Tim and I played together in person. Um, before oh, yeah. we moved. And some, some of your other videos have been split screen with, with yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So we moved and then the border between the US and Canada was closed. Um, so for a long time, you know, we, we weren't able to see each other. So that was actually the last time we played together. Mm-hmm. And most most of those videos, or, or at least some of them, were originally part of a virtual concert that we had done uh, for the main, it's an organization called the Maine Celtic Celebration. We mm-hmm. were supposed to, as part of a tour, uh, in 2020, we were supposed to play there up in Maine, and then it got canceled because of COVID. So we recorded a concert for them in our backyard, yeah. um, and then we recorded some extra material as well. And it's the combination of those that we sort of turned into that series to release them one by one. Mm. There, there so. was one of them. So I've, I've been, um, I've been bouncing my youngest baby to sleep to those to those videos for a few months now at least oh that's awesome maybe longer so i've, I've watched them all <laughs> many times <laughs> and there's there's one i wish i could remember now which one it was or if i'd taken a note which one it was where you transition from oh you transition to uh uh, uh border pipes i think mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. i think you were coming off of small pipes probably probably yeah. not illin pipes um, and you you scoot the chair back. <laughs> and yes, you, yeah. and then you're about to sit down. You stop and you and you look at the other two and you scoot back even further. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Which yes, is yes. Delightful for any piper knowing the, the volume <laughs> difference, right, between between uh, uh, small pipes and and uh, border pipes. But uh, I, I'm it. curious but between all the pipes that you play, um, mm-hmm. the sets specifically that you have, but also the styles that you play. Um, if you had to pick, let's call it a desert island set of pipes, you could only have one Ooh. set. Um, what kind would they be? Who would be the maker? You know, what would be the setup? <laughs> wow, that is unless an this puts you in an awkward position. If you don't want some <laughs> makers to think, "Hey, why didn't he pick my pipes?" You know, you can just tell me what kind if you if you prefer. <laughs> no, no, I gosh, that's that's incredibly hard. Um, I like asking it, the hard questions. <laughs> yeah, really. I didn't know this would be such a hard hitting interview. Um, <laughs> it, it's well, it's really hard. Especially because um, I'm so fortunate to play the instruments that I do play, and I really spent 
a lot of time trying to get the instruments that I play. Mm, yeah. um, so like, you know, I was very, I have had very specific um, sounds in mind of what I liked and what I wanted for, for my pipes. And obviously, you know, with, as you know, you can't just sort of call up um, the store and get the exact type of pipes that you want. You know, no, you either, ha exactly, you, you know, you're either on a waiting list for a long time or you have to wait for secondhand instruments to come up for sale. Um, so the instruments that I play regularly, my, my illin pipes, my border pipes and small pipes, they were, you know, sort of um, hard fought battles to get mm, them in, in yeah. some sense. You know, I, I kind of worked for them. My, Nate Banton made my small pipes years ago. That was the only one of these instruments that was actually specifically made for me. Um, the others were secondhand instruments that I picked up um, along the way yeah. um, and sort of had other instruments and sold those instruments in order to buy the instrument I really wanted. So, so all three of them, um, all three of those sets are kind of near and dear to me. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'd, I'm betraying them a little bit to think about. <laughs> yeah. um, I would I would say um, I, I absolutely adore my set of border pipes from from Finn and Hamish. Yeah. Um, however, that would n they wouldn't be the set that I would take to the desert island, mm. um, only because border pipes are just so cantankerous. Um, and, you know, I drive myself crazy and, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to get a break from the volume too. So I love them to death and I love playing them, um, but it wouldn't be those, but it would be a really hard fought battle between the small pipes and the illin pipes. Um, mm. cause they, they, they're both so different in yeah. my mind, you know, it's easier for me to, to sort of pick between small pipes, border pipes and highland pipes. You know, I could say, oh, I'd take the small pipes to the desert island yeah. for sure. Um, and it would be, uh, um, it would be a Nate Banton set. <laughs> um, but uh, gosh, illin pipes and small pipes, you know, the illin pipes are really near and dear to my heart too. I have this, this chanter that I play is by Killian O'Brien and, and I love the sound of his pipes. The rest of my set is by another maker. Um, and so I think if my, I could wave my magic chanter, wand, whatever, yeah. um, and just magically have a full set by Killian O'Brien of illin pipes, I think that's what would go to the desert island with that, me, that for would, sure. That would tip it ahead, huh? Yeah, that would that would put it over the top, I yeah. think. <laughs> now, now, similar question, a little bit different. Um, having played on these different sort of uh, chanter systems, on which layout are your fingers most comfortable? Like, hmm. on which of these could you play most freely for the longest, or, or where can you improvise most freely? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, my initial reaction is it depends on the day. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, um, there are some days where I feel like I've never even picked up some of these instruments before. <laughs> I, I think, um, I think probably I'd feel most free and most in command on either the, the small pipes or the border pipes. Mm -hmm. Um, only because that's what I've, you know, Scottish piping is what I've done the longest. So even even if I'm playing in sort of a non-traditional style of Scottish piping, you know, you know, breaking the mold of Highland pipes in that, you know, different embellishments or different styles in that, I think I would still probably feel the most at home yeah. on those instruments and the most at home to sort of improvise and and um, you know be a little more free. Yeah. At the same at the same time. Um, I've I've been teaching a lot of illin pipes um, online throughout COVID, and um, it's forced me to really 
think about how I play and how I approach things. And, you know, as I break it down for students, I'm breaking it down for myself too. Yeah. And so I, I've, yeah, I have, um, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because there are times when I'll go after a long stretch of playing illin pipes or teaching illin pipes, you know, and I haven't picked up the small pipes for, you know, days or even a couple of weeks um, where suddenly I, I'm like, feel more at home on the Ellen pipes mm. um you know and it's just it's a newer instrument to me you know i mean we're still talking you know i don't know 10 or 15 years or something but um you know it's I, I haven't been with it as long as scottish pipes but there are times when it starts to feel it's definitely gotten to be a much more comfortable instrument for yeah. me but yeah do, do you find that um like like playing whistles in different keys for example you know, your, your illum pipes, I'm guessing you're probably set up with a D chanter. Yeah. That's yeah. the more common of them. Like, mm -hmm. like the, I guess the reason I asked this, when, when I was a kid, my parents put me in a piano program where they taught, um, I, I, the first time I learned music was with what's called fixed dough solfege. Yeah, yep. Which I, I gather is more common in Europe, but not as common here. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Basically, it just screwed me up. Because from there, <laughs> then, then I had to learn the letter name, uh, system when I was in middle school and then in high school in music theory I had to learn typical solfege I didn't even yeah. know that dough could move you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> where I'm you know so my brain though now you know decades hence I still think in fixed dough you know so like interesting if I'm thinking in in D major I'm thinking ray with a fa sharp wow okay, you know what yeah. I mean so it's it's yeah. it's, it's kind of screwed up and so it does make me think like when I'm playing like a D a low D whistle I, I'm I'm thinking in well that through the through the lens of an A bagpipe chanter. Interesting. So are you at a point where when you pick up any one of these chanters, whatever key it's in, you're thinking in the sounding note, or are you going home to Great Highland bagpipes every time you pick up a chanter? Yeah. Okay. Um, I I think. When I first started to play whistle and illin pipes more regularly, you know, and suddenly, you know, D chant, D illin pipe chanter, D whistle, um, I was I was sort of relating a lot to the Highland pipe chanter. But now they've really kind of separated out in my head completely. Um, so yeah, I, I I think probably for a time maybe I kept thinking back to things in terms of the Highland pipe scale and mm -hmm. and that, but but not not so much. Um, yeah, not not so much for a long time. Mm -hmm. I when I when I went to music school, I remember my freshman year. Um, there was like uh, the class was called like ear training or, or you know sight singing and ear training or something like that. And the teacher that I had for that, um, you know, it was movable dough. That that's mm -hmm. you know what what we learned. There was not fixed dough, and I didn't even learn that the fixed dough existed. You know, until a, a while later. And I thought, how could anybody do that? Like that <laughs> blew my mind. So. You know, it's always seemed easier to me to sort of think in that that movable yeah. movable dough. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's more more where, how my head works. So, so to some degree, my my marveling at you and other multi instrumentalists is is just the uh, the limitations of my own <laughs> my own upbringing. <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it, it it is. It's interesting. Um, but I, I know for a long time, like when I learned. And I tell this to, I have a handful of, of students who are learning to play the Illin pipes, but coming from Highland pipes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, there, there is like a kind of a, at least for me, there was a shift in, 
in thinking, like to get away from, I can only think in terms of the Highland piping scale, you know, all my fingers are down, what note is that on the Highland pipe channel versus right. all my fingers, are down. you know, and, and finally I was, you know, they, they separated out and I can think of them both completely independently now. Um, but it, it, you know, it took a little while to get used to that for sure. Mm. Mm. Yep. Now, um, I, I, I kind of skipped over a little bit. I, I wanted to ask you more about Tim's uh, foot percussion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, track four, I think, is a good ex- has, has some good examples of that. Maybe I'll play some, some of track four here real quick. Um, Great. It, it, I'll put it in, in post. That's the, uh, the Dirty B. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. sort of like Appalachian music before mm, um, mm-hmm. never in a seated position usually a guy dancing around you know but uh, yeah 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 what yeah. can you tell me about this uh, to what degree is this Tim's invention and to what degree is he playing out of a out of a uh, a, um, a tradition yeah well it's definitely rooted in tradition um, where where he's drawing from and how it relates probably most closely to the music we play in Arise and Go is um, coming from like a Quebecois tradition in Quebecois music it's very common for Um, usually a fiddler to sort of be accompanying themselves with foot percussion while Mm. they play the fiddle Um, and there's there's some great videos out there of you know you can find fiddlers doing this and it's just amazing to watch you know this this sort of self accompaniment um, with the foot style so Tim Tim had learned this um, Tim is also a brilliant fiddler um, plays you know Tim is one of those uh, incredible people who you know, he'd say he's an Irish fiddler. You know, he, he had studied classical music, but he's an, he plays Irish music. But he plays every style and yeah. plays it really, really well. Um, you know, he does a lot of New England uh, fiddle music, contradance music, um, Irish music, but can just as easily bounce into, you know, other styles as well. He, he, so anyway, He's like one of these guys who he's a whole iceberg. And it's like, well, which chunk of me does a rise and go need? Here you go. Yeah. You just exactly what you need, you know? Yep, exactly. Uh, he, he's, he's a really wonderful, uh, he's a wonderful musician in general. He's a wonderful musician to collaborate with in that yeah. sense, too. Um, yeah, it, I mean, he really is. Um, Ellie and I have both, both said, when, when Ellie and I started to play together, um, you know, we thought, you know, we wanted somebody to play with. And, and, we thought, well, how about Tim? We knew Tim from sessions, playing in sessions around Ithaca. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, we didn't know him super well. Ellie knew him a little better than I did, actually. But but we thought, Tim won't want to play with us. You know, Tim, Tim's too good. He doesn't want to play with us. Yeah. Uh, and he then we asked him. He wouldn't yeah, descend to our level. I know, right? <laughs> um, and, but he, he agreed. And, you know, we, we, he's, he, he, makes us, he makes us better because he's such yeah. a good musician. But, but anyway, the, the foot percussion side of it comes out of this fiddle tradition. Um, so it, it, normally it would be the fiddler in Quebecois music. But, you know, he knew how to do it. Um, and that addition in as the guitar player just works, you know, equally as well. Um, so, so that's really where it's coming from um, for, for him. Um, yeah. I yep. love the sound. I mean, you know, any any part of the music makes you want to dance, and any kind of percussion is percussion. But maybe there's something about it being actually with feet that just like really drives the desire to dance. You know, it's yep. it's it's really yeah. it's really fun to listen to, fun yeah, to watch absolutely. too. I would highly. I'll have links in the show notes to um, YouTube videos and stuff. I'd highly recommend anybody taking a look at your YouTube channel because it's a lot of fun to watch too. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's a really unique element to add in, and it really fills out the sound. Um, we never wanted, you know, we, we play festivals and, you know, some larger stages and that, but we never wanted to be a band who's, you know, got a big drum set backing us up or something like that. It's just yeah. not the style that we're going for. And and that, when we added the foot percussion in, it was like, oh, this this is that little extra, no pun intended, kick that we need. Um, <laughs> Take to, the pun. To sort I of, love puns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to, uh, to sort of fill out that sound a little bit, yeah. you know, so... Um, yeah, it's, it's been a great addition to the band sound. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I have this wonderful picture from we recorded the Meeting Place album in um, Dimension Sound Studio in Boston, in Jamaica Plains, I think it is. Um, and Keith Murphy, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he is a wonderful musician, a wonderful singer, wonderful guitar player, um, great all-around folk musician, backs up some of the best in the business, but also is one of the best in the business himself. And he was the producer for our album, and he was a wonderful, wonderful help to us. Mm. Um, and Keith also um, knows how to and will and does foot percussion in, in his own music. Um, and so when one of the tracks we were recording, normally Tim plays and does the foot percussion at the same time. Um, but, you know, for the album, you can isolate things and just makes oh, sure, everybody's yeah. life a little bit easier. So, so rather than make him worry about doing the guitar and the foot percussion at the same time, there was, I think, one of the tracks, I can't remember what, we recorded all the music and then he added the foot percussion after so that he could just focus on being really steady and, and, and really, you know. So I have this great photo of um, looking out into the recording studio. I was up in the booth and it's just Tim for like five minutes in the recording um, area with his eyes closed and his feet going. Uh, and yeah. our producer, Keith, who is also this incredible foot percussionist, um, sitting there, you know, kind of in the, the thinker's pose with his eyes closed, listening to him through headphones. And it was just five minutes of this zen, you know, clap, clippy, clap, clippy, clap, clippy, clap, clippy, yeah. clap. And, you know, just both of them listening so intensely to this. But it was, it was really kind of neat. It, almost like the feet are a third party there and the two of them are just considering what the feet are doing, huh? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I just, I just go, go Googled Keith Murphy. I, I heard his uh, Bound for Canaan album. Oh, yeah. Great album. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a wonderful, wonderful musician. Yep. Oh, that's really cool. You got to work with him. That, that was yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now, now, you brought up a thing here that I was curious about uh, when, when you said that you and Ellie were thinking about who to bring in. And 
I, I feel like maybe Ellie to some degree is trapped anyway, right? Because because you're married, <laughs> and so she has to play with a piper, you know. Like, I guess, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's not fair, though, right? Like basically, <laughs> I I've brought this up to my own wife before. Like as as I was listening to your music, you know, I was like, man, because she, she'd said to me something like. Wouldn't you have so much fun playing with a group like this? Now, now, Michael, I, I would never be able to play the way that you play. Um, but, you know, she's like, wouldn't this be so much fun? I'm like, yeah, sure it would. But I don't know how a bagpiper convinces other musicians to play with them. <laughs> right. How does that happen? I, I mean, yeah. that's not just a rhetorical question. How'd you do it, man? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, I, I guess Ellie and I were, were just destined to be um, because from the get-go when I met her, she 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 said she wanted to marry a bagpiper she loved wow. bagpipes and you, i don't know you found her it's the legends, yeah, really the legend said there was one out there you found i know her. i <laughs> sorry everybody else you know i got the i got the only one um <laughs> i guess um you know ellie grew up in the canadian maritimes and it must be that influence or something yeah. but she she loves the pipes and she for whatever reason she saw that as a pretty strong attribute for me so <laughs> yeah good for you um, huh so I, I got really lucky in in uh, that regard. I, awesome. I'll I still remember sort of early on in our dating days, um, we we were together and we were cooking dinner, and she I said or she said you know let's put some music on and I I don't know what I pulled up but it was bagpipes like yeah. it was just straight up bagpipes, and it was early on enough that like she knew I was really into this, mm-hmm. but I remember her turning and looking to me and just saying oh you're really into this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I am. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, little by little, she and I started to play together. Yeah. Um, it, but for both of us, it was really a learning curve. I mean, mm. she'd never really played with a piper before. Um, so she had to get used to playing with me. I played in a very different style from her. Yeah. Um, you know, so we really had to learn how to play together. And for a long time, sort of musically butted heads, just because we were kind of coming from such different backgrounds. And it mm. took me a long time to sort of like, you know, as I was sort of breaking out of some of the rigidity of my pipe band playing, yeah. um, she, she helped me do a lot of that. Um, whereas I was, you know, prone to play things really kind of metronomically straight and round. Um, Mm. She was often playing with a lot more swing and just, you know, a very different accent than Mm. I was used to playing with. And, and so I, I, I had a lot to learn. Um, And she, she really helped a lot with that. And, you know, uh, she has, has definitely had to adjust to learn to play with pipes as well. So there's, there's been big learning curves on both of our parts there. Um, And then, you know, as far as getting somebody else to play with us, you know, uh, I, we, we like I say, we knew Tim from sessions. So, you know, I think, I, I don't know, I'd have to ask him if this is true, but I think, you know, we kind of maybe started to win Tim over with the idea of more Illin Pipes and Irish music first, you know, because he'd sure. seen me, you he'd seen me play. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, he'd seen, he'd seen us play at the session. We'd played together before. So, you know, that was a somewhat logical Thing for us to do to play yeah. together. Um, I know for Tim though, playing with Scottish pipes was a much less familiar thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you know, kind of had to introduce him to that. But um, you know, the the Scottish side of things connected to enough of the music that Ellie did, or, or you know, parts of the music that Ellie did that you know we we could sort of present a united musical idea and that he could get on board with. Um, but but like I say, all three of us come from really different musical 
backgrounds, some yeah. overlap, but different, diff definitely different focuses. So we, we learn from each other all, all the time and, mm. and bring very different things to the table. But, um, and, and, and as far as convincing them, you know, to play with the Piper, you know, a lot of that is um, trying, uh, I try to think about fitting myself into these other styles that we're all bringing to the table. You know, mm. I, I, I don't, it's sort of like, you know, you go to another country and you at least try to show enough respect to have some basic phrases to like, you know, to be able to say thank you in their language to, you know, have, have some, some basic um, conversation down, not just sort of go in, you know, doing things your own way. I sort of feel like that in, to some degree with, with the music too. It's sort of like, okay, Scottish and Irish pipes definitely have sort of the, their way of doing things that's comfortable, but like you can learn to sort of fit into these music from other traditions in a way that's mm. a little bit more respectful of those traditions rather than, you know, I, I, it doesn't really, I'm not trying to knock it if anybody does this, but it doesn't really appeal to me to like hear a tune from another culture or tradition or that played, you know, with Scottish ornaments on a tune. Sure, like yeah. I think it's, I think it's really cool to fit it onto your, to your Scottish instrument. I think that's fantastic. But I think, um, I, I don't know. I just try to like, see if there's a way for me to sort of adapt it to that tradition so that it sounds a little more natural, I guess yeah. is, is what I'm trying to say. No, um, that, that, it's, that it's... totally makes sense. And, and I love your, the, the analogy of like the, I'm just imagining like the great Highland bagpipes being like the musical equivalent of the obnoxious American abroad. Just <laughs> yeah, saying, right. This it's... is how I do things and you must comply for <laughs> exactly. everything from non-standard tuning to how loud I am. Just match me. <laughs> you, know? you got it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I've been guilty of that myself, you know, going into like getting, you know, going to play with a choir or something and be like, well, sorry, just, you know, sing louder and come, you know, don't quite play B, don't quite sing B flat, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Well, and I think early on for me, that was one of the draws to like being able to be, um, have some ability in different types of pipes so that yeah. you had things to suit different occasions. I think that really, that really appealed to me because I, I don't, I'm not, at least I don't think that I'm kind of like a walk into the room and say, Hey, look at me, everybody kind of person. Like mm -hmm. I, I like to blend in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I kind of feel that way about the pipes too. I mean <laughs> that I realize how crazy that sounds to say, yeah. you know, I play the bagpipes, but I just want to blend in. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, having different pipes, you know, gives different options. And, and like I was saying earlier, I kind of feel like each one of those pipes is sort of suited to more stuff. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things uh, to just go back to that tune book that I've been working on forever. Um, one of the things that I found really hard about that is, um, and I I was kind of writing this as part of the preface, is I play these different instruments and I play music from different styles on these different instruments. But when you start committing things to paper, um, you know, it's like who's your audience? Who are you writing for? Yeah. And I realized like I, I wasn't writing for just one audience, and some of these tunes fit better on one instrument than another and the way I would ornament it for one instrument is different than mm -hmm. how I would ornament it for another and some of the tunes in the book you know I really don't think I would like the way they sounded on the highland pipes but I love the way they sound on the small pipes mm, um, yeah. 
and ultimately I realized like all I can do is is sort of put a version of it out into the world and let people make their own decisions you know I can't I can't micromanage what what you know what instruments mm. people play music on I can just expose <laughs> them to, to to music that I like to play yeah. um, if, uh, if Krishna were driving your chariot then they would turn to you and say look you have a right <laughs> to the tune book you put into the world but you don't have a right <laughs> to how people play your music <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah because it's uh, you know, I, I realized I, I kind of like was hemming and hawing over this kind of stuff forever. And then I realized like, well, I don't even necessarily want people to play it exactly like I've written it here. You know, mm, I, I yeah. want them to, to put their own spin on it. I'm just offering suggestions here. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And whenever you do come up with that tune book, I'm going to make sure to announce it on the social media platforms where this show is. And I'll certainly cool, be after you. a copy myself. Um the, thank you. Uh, I don't want to let you go yet unless you have to. Do you have to? No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> okay, I'm fine. I'm okay. Thanks. I didn't want it to seem like I was bringing it to a close. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> we're not going to forget about that tune book, Dagnabbit. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. I know thank you're you. getting busy with, uh, with like, some uh, – you've got i i never know how to pronounce it i have a t-shirt that says the name of the the vermont piper's <laughs> gathering on it i have two oh, yeah. t-shirts but i still don't know how to say it uh karchis karchis all right then. yeah karchis. you're gonna be teaching yep. a karchis here shortly i saw that yeah and come out. end of july yep um i'm gonna be i think it's the last week in july i don't have my mm-hmm. calendar in front of me but i think um yeah i'm really looking forward to that that i've i've never been before um, but I'm going to be there. They've got uh, myself and Tim Cummings and Gary West from Scotland are going to be teaching there. So, and it's like a, a Monday to Friday camp, um, you know. So you're there for the the week and and sharing tunes and that. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I was supposed to um, I was supposed to go last year, but mm-hmm. you know things weren't opened up enough. They they I I believe they might have had an event, but I was in Canada at that point. They, and they did an online thing, and that. That was part of the oh, silver okay. lining of, of COVID for me. I've never been able to go to Vermont for it. You know, I've just watched mm. from afar, but I was able to join in for the online thing that time. It was fun. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't able to go because the border was still closed down. Uh, yeah. Um, and well, yeah. It, what is Vermont the, but Southern Canada anyway? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, Southern exactly. Nova Scotia. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it was a really strange time, actually, because um, I... I'm a U.S. citizen, yeah. but I could have gone to the U.S., but I was here on a visitor status at the time, and we came up here because my Ellie was pregnant. We were expecting a, a baby, which is also connects to why the tune book isn't done yet. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, it was just a wacky time. So I, I didn't get down to it last year, but I'm really, really, really glad that uh, I'll be able to go this year. So yeah. Yeah, I'm doing that at the end of July, and then um, I'll also be teaching at the Piper's Gathering in oh, Connecticut yeah. in August. So, yep. Awesome. So you're busy with a lot of stuff. And so whenever the tune book does come, I'll be keeping an eye out for it. Yeah, thank you. I, I had this goal that it would be done by the time I went to these schools to teach. I don't know if that's going to be a reality of or not. Of course, but, it would be great to have it available when you're there. It would be really handy. Yeah, it would be really handy. But to be honest, like the musical side of it is completely done. It's more the... Um, I mean, that's the side I know how to work through the problems with. But it's the it's the layout and the printing and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. So that's I, I don't doubt yeah. you have it under control, Michael. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying <laughs> you should or anything, but I, I know that Tim Cummings, man, he has put out some beautiful books and he has he his has, own little publishing group. That's how he does it. He, yeah, he has indeed. In fact, um, very early on, 
um, I think last summer when I was just starting to think about the actual putting it all together phase, I wrote to him. Um, t Tim's a wonderful guy, and I just yeah. asked him a couple of questions about, you know, how the heck do I get started going about this? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's a great, great source of information and a great source of music. Yeah. Now, um, I'm gonna, I want to drag you into another track, if that's okay. Yeah, great. Um, track 10, The Braze. Um, mm. This one, <laughs> man, uh, no offense to Sir Aaron Shaw of The Wicked Tinkers, one of my <laughs> earliest and, and most beloved influences in bagpiping, still one of my favorite pipers in the world. Um, cool. They did, um, he played, uh, uh, what's the track? It's, it's the one, ah, it's the one that I couldn't pronounce. Sir, uh, uh, somebody's Fancy, Dr. No, sir. Oh, Dr. McKinnis Fancy. Yeah, yeah, Dr. McKinnis Fancy, that's right. Yep. They did that on their Hammered album. Okay. So I was familiar with it from that. So no offense to Aaron Shaw, he plays it beautifully. But hearing <laughs> you play it, Man, those burls early on, oh. those runs later on in the set as well, getting away from the tune. The the <laughs> finger work, Michael. Again, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable from praise here, but <laughs> your the the cleanliness of the fingers throughout this album, but like it feels like it really shines on this track. Maybe maybe because it's uh, maybe the real pipes help it to really like kind of pop, you know. But yeah. um, man, you. this yeah. is some clean finger work. Um, I'm it gonna play some of that right here.
as we come out of it. <laughs> you, I'm curious, like, well, one thing I'm curious about is, do you find that the border, the border pipes chanter, maybe because of uh, finger spacing, is like, is it conducive to quick, clean finger work? Uh, it yeah, in many ways it is. I this um, I've played a number of of border pipe chanters um, over the years, and they all seem to you know sort of help with some of the some of that cleanliness. At least in my my fingers, I, you know I find. Sure, um, but there is something. Stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there is something particularly wonderful about this chanter for me um, from from Finn Moore. Um, it really. You know, even though border pipes themselves can be kind of cantankerous and the tuning of them and that, um, it's a real joy to play because I feel like I have to work hardly at all to get, you know, really nice, nice clean sounds to come out. It, it really, mm. it, it's a joy to play. Um, yeah, uh, you, you, you're you're absolutely right. Um, well, and that's not to say it's the equipment, not the player. You know, like you got you got <laughs> nice clean fingers and fast moving fingers throughout the album, of course. But man, it sure seemed to especially pop in this in this set here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, it's that that's a fun set to play. That set it has was for a long time was the closer to many of our concerts too. That totally makes um, sense. That's a strong finish. And it yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the energy of sort of a, a closing set was definitely kind of in my mind when we recorded it. So, yeah. do you yeah. have um, and not to put you on the spot, if you don't, I can I can cut out the question entirely. But do you, being an instructor, do you do you have any like you're talking to pipers right now, right? So so there's mm. some there's there's some existing sort of like common vocabulary and stuff like that. Do you have any of the sort of like low hanging fruit? Here's a quick tip, a life hack, if you will, for cleaner fingers. Oof. Um. Huh. Or faster fingers. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, often it's it's interesting because those two things often go hand in hand, right? Yeah. Like I I find that it your fingers aren't going to go quicker until they're playing cleaner. Mm, yeah. Um. So like if you find yourself kind of stumbling over whatever it is you know a certain passage of notes a certain embellishment what, whatever it may be if you have these little stumbling blocks that aren't clean it's going to impede you getting to a faster tempo in my experience mm -hmm. um so gosh in terms of getting it cleaner then how do you do it well you know don't be afraid to slow down mm -hmm. and don't be afraid I tell a lot of my students, you know, there's always these passages that you got to woodshed and, you know, you have to just slow it down and go through them and get it cleaner. And it seems like that's slowing the process down, but ultimately it's speeding it up. Because if you just keep saying, oh, I screwed that up and let me try it again and just blast through it, it's not going to get any better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, you know, I've done that and you just sort of cross your fingers and hope that it happens, but you never really get it solid. So it's sort of... It's sort of recognizing, I, I think you have to just have an ear, a critical ear on your own playing all the time and recognize those little spots where you say, oh, you know, that's a little fuzzy or that's not, I, I'm stumbling on myself there. Some, something ain't right. And cleaning those little spots up. And then it seems to, to lead to, you know, cl clean playing seems to permeate throughout. And, and, you know, so clean playing leads to clean playing, mm -hmm. um, which leads to, you know, freer playing, which leads to potentially faster playing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think that's. Yeah, and and it's really easy to um, to get when you're playing by yourself. It's really easy to get heavy with your with your own playing. Mm. Um, so you know, I have found when I, when I met Ellie, 
um, before Ellie moved to Ithaca, where I met her, she'd been living in Montreal. And she was playing at sessions in Montreal where, you know, the average tempo was somewhere between blazing and out of sight. <laughs> um, so, you know, she will tell you that I slowed her down, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but she also, she also made me get a lot faster, you know, yeah. so playing, playing with, um, music that is light and and getting accustomed to it you know if you just hear something fast and you say I'm gonna play fast too you get you tend to get just kind of heavy you know you sort of you sort of clench the chanter and say here we go you know I'm, I'm gonna get it it's like you know the kid in the backyard who says I'm gonna hit a home run this time um, you know so he swings even harder and misses it completely right it's yeah. you have to sort of be free and relaxed in order to to play faster mm. um, you know yeah yeah, that 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 is that can be a really frustrating sort of uh, loop where the harder you try, the tighter your muscles get, the, and the less freely absolutely. stuff moves. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and you know, like I say, uh, not being afraid to like slow it down a little bit and get comfortable with it. Playing with other people can sometimes sort of free you up a little bit. Um, you know, there's different tricks. You know, using metronomes to sort of you know get you know track your progress you know just taking a little bit faster rather than trying to jump from medium to blazing speed all at once yeah um you know or using the metronome to sort of highlight different parts of the music playing on the offbeat sometimes can can free a person up um depending on the type of tune you know Mm -hmm. little tricks like that but um yeah i I think at the end of the day it kind of comes down to really listening to yourself critically and being honest with what am i doing and you know how do i improve upon it um you know, just listening to yourself critically. Yeah, speaking of li- listening to yourself critically, I don't want to dig up the pain that surely all recorded artists feel. <laughs> um, but like you, you mentioned, like how teaching, you know, helps mm. the teacher to learn, right? Absolutely. And and certainly like write, writing your tune book, you know, makes you think about these tunes in a different way as well. Having yeah. recorded an album, is it hard for you to listen to the album? Um, sometimes, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little different. Like, um, I kind of glossed over the whole part of my life that was like singing and you were saying you couldn't find any recordings of my, of me singing. That's sort of intentional because I, (laughs) because I, I absolutely could not listen to those. You know, I I don't really enjoy listening back to those at all with pipes, at least, um, I'm able to sort of separate out you know, the pipes become this sort of intermediary, um, so I'm a little less, um, it's a little less difficult to listen to. There are times, you know, when we first recorded the meeting place, um, there were certain things, you know, you remember how it felt in the moment. You're, there's, uh, yeah. You can recall the muscle memory. So, you know, there's parts where, oh, you know, my the A's weren't in tune there and it was really driving me nuts. And so when I listened to it right after recording, it just was like a knife to my ears. Yeah. Um, and now if I go back to it a couple of years out, I say, oh, it's not perfect, but it's you know not I was being a little was in your head, right? Right, you know. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, so sometimes it can be, but I will say, I, I actually I have always found it really useful to listen to myself, um, to learn from recordings of myself. Yeah. So I think from kind of an early age, I. I just love the, it. I, I hope it doesn't come across as like a narcissistic kind of thing, but like I love listening to pipes. And, you know, so I loved listening 
even to my own pipes. Yeah. No, um, you know, yeah. even even when I was I was younger, but I realized like really early on that um, I could learn a lot. Like I was catching a lot of things listening to recordings of yeah. myself that I wasn't hearing in the moment. So I think I got kind of comfortable listening to myself early on and assessing what I was doing and learning from that. Mm. So so yeah, there are times when it's it's can be tough to listen to. Um, but for the most part, I try to treat it as, as a learning experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to know that partly just because I've enjoyed this album. So, so on, it's been on rotation so many times for me. I'd, I'd love to think that, that you and, and Ellie and Tim are all able to enjoy it yourselves, too. You ought to be proud yeah. of it. Yeah. Really excellent. It, it's funny. Like, uh, I think we definitely we recorded it, and then we were playing a lot of the music on it in concerts and on tours and stuff like that. So, you know, we didn't go back and listen to the album itself for a very long time. But it was just probably in the last six months. Um, oh, actually, I know what it was. We were we were in Nova Scotia actually uh, a few weeks ago. Um, we're we're actually going to be moving there, um, and we were driving around in my sister-in-law's car and she very kindly had put the album in the CD player. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, we hadn't listened to it in forever. So it was on, but we were driving around not really paying attention to it and we kind of got quiet for a little while and we could hear the music. And Ellie said, you know, this is this is okay. This isn't bad. <laughs> um, so I, I think with something like that, with an album, you yeah. know, I, I don't necessarily consciously go back and listen to that stuff. Um, I, I don't really go back and listen to the album myself, but at the same time, it's nice a little ways out, not right after it's recorded, but sure, a little ways out sure. to go back and say, yeah, I can, I can stand by this. I'm proud of this. That makes sense. Uh, I feel like, I feel like I can hear in the echoes of my own memory, um, members of maybe either Pink Floyd or some of the Beatles saying something very similar about in one of those sort of like behind the album exposés, you mm. know, where they like do the documentary mm -hmm. thing and interview them years later about being like, yeah, you know, 12 years after we'd made that album, you know, I happened to hear it on the radio and I thought to myself, that actually is not too bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's, there's definitely an element though of like you record it and then you just got to let it go. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, you when know, will it ever be perfect enough in the moment, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you know, too, the more I record, the more I worry about, or excuse me, the more I record, the less I worry about it being mm. perfect, too. You know, yeah. so it's it's there's a nice uh, sort of letting go process that mm -hmm. you learn in that too. Hello, friends. Just hopping in here real quick to make uh, my standard plug. Uh, this podcast, of course, is something that I love doing, and I'll keep doing it no matter what for free, so uh, don't worry about that. But if you want to send me money, I'm never going to say no to that. Well, I shouldn't say never. Maybe there is a situation where I would say no to money. But in most situations, I think that, I think that the chances that would be in a situation where I would say no to money are slim enough that at least in general we can say that if you want to send me money, I'm not going to stop you. Uh, easiest way to do that is through Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. Of course, I, I, I can work out other things, too, so let me know if you don't like Patreon. But <laughs> we do regular drawings for uh, bagpipe-related albums, uh, books, sheet music, um, droning on swag, all that kind of stuff. And this month, in fact, the, the drawing is going to be um, one of a Rise and Go's albums, uh, probably the one we're talking about here, the meeting place. Um, so those drawings are just pulled from a figurative hat of, of supporters. So uh, get your name in that hat and get some cool stuff. Um, another good way to support the show and me is to buy stuff from my little online shop, bagpipeswag.com. Uh, it's just a place where uh, myself and some friends put cool bagpipey stuff. Uh, we got uh, merch there for, for various bagpipe artists as well and uh, bagpipe bands and stuff like that. It's a cool website. Go check it out. There are notes, or there, rather there's a link in the show notes. 
Um, and if you feel so inclined, I also invite you to follow the show on Facebook or Instagram. Um, trying to get stuff up on YouTube right now as well. But uh, Facebook especially is a place where it's a little easier for me to, like, you know, put out questions to, to listeners. Um, if I've got upcoming interviews and, and want ideas, you know, if I'm going to interview somebody that you might know about and just be able to be like, hey, I'm going to interview this person, you know, do you, are there any things you want to ask them, you know, um, it's a fun thing. And I still, I'm still hopeful that at some point we'll do some kind of, some kind of virtual book club. I think that could be a lot of fun. Maybe, uh, maybe some, you know, bagpipe related books, I think would be the, 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 the genre we'd be looking at. Anyway, um, you can always email the podcast at the droning on podcast at gmail.com. Um, there are a bunch of links to all this stuff in the show notes. Uh, also there are links to all the stuff that, uh, Michael and I have been talking about in this, in this interview. I'd highly recommend checking out their YouTube channel. Of course, hop over to Bandcamp or onto their website and get a copy of their album. If you haven't yet, it's an excellent album. Um, there's not a single track on there that you won't enjoy. I'm quite sure the samples that we have in here are by no means the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, it's real good. So hop on over there and, and, and support that band and, and get some of their awesome music. And uh, back to the interview. Thanks very much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Now, would I be digging in too much to ask you about the the name of the group? Where did Arise and Go come from? Oh, yeah. Um, so we <laughs> we started to play together and, you know, kind of had this chemistry right away um, and really loved playing together. It took a while to kind of find our group sound, but we, we loved playing together right off the bat. So forming the band part of it was easy. Um but the hardest part was coming up with a name. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, name, <laughs> I'd sound so dumb, but like, you know, everything was either we were trying to sound too serious or it was uh, too cheesy sure. or whatever. Um, and actually, it was, it was my sister, Laura, who suggested this band name. Um, and it's, it, we pulled it from the opening line of uh, Yeats's Lake Isle of Innisfree. Um, the the poem the Lake Isle of Innisfree. I don't and know. It, if I'm gonna I'm gonna Google oh, it right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a beautiful poem. You should look it up. Um, the opening line is "I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree," um, and we actually at a lot of our live shows um, we will do this where um, Ellie and Tim do this beautiful air, and I I sort of to give a background about the band I I recite the poem over oh, over gotcha. the top of the air. Um, and we don't, you know, we do it at some of our more intimate, smaller shows, not, not the big stage shows and that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where it came from at the suggestion of my sister. And, mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, it just, it clicked. Um, the, the poem is full of this really beautiful imagery. Um, and for whatever reason, it just, it seemed, it seemed to work for us. Yeah. What about the, the logo or typeface? Was there any was there a lot of thought behind that, or was it just pretty so you you stuck with it? Uh, that is also my sister's doing. My sister Laura, she has done all of our sort of artwork needs um, throughout the existence of the band. So we have um, an EP that we recorded first back in I forget what year, um, like a four track EP, yeah. and the front of that has a big sort of watercolor logo of Arise and Go, and she did she did that. Um, and then when we were going to do the album, you know, we knew there was going to be photographs on the album, but, um, you know, we sort of needed a logo. We needed our name and she did that as well. So she, I mean, she, she's really does beautiful artwork, a lot of, you know, uh, beautiful Celtic knotwork, um, you know, other, other stuff too, yeah. um, beautiful watercolors. But anyway, we tasked her with coming up with a logo for us and she came up with a couple, uh, versions that, that she, she she liked and we loved them all and we we ended up just settling on that one yeah um but yeah that was all original original artwork from her 
Well, I tip my hat to her. I, 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 I maybe get a little too excited about about that kind of thing, but I, I think it's lovely, and I feel like it's evocative of the name itself. I mean, the go feels like it's point, pointing me on my way, you know, and the, it, the, the, the arise has that kind of, like, flowy thing, so it's like the whole thing is moving itself, you know? It's it's like you were there in the room with us when we were talking <laughs> about this. Yeah, no, you're, you're oh, absolutely you right. I, I, think, I think those were some of the exact things that, you know, we sort of said and talked about as we were kind of brainstorming what it should look like and, and what she came up with. So yeah, yeah, oh, that's, that's great. I'm glad it reads that way. Well, and I'll have, I will have links to all this stuff down below, but just for anybody who's been listening, uh, when you're looking for the group, I will note that, um, typing out arise A N D G O mm. takes a little bit longer. If you put arise ampersand go, you're, you'll find them faster. That, that seems to bring up results more quickly. For whatever reason, like when we came up with that name, like we were just so firm that the ampersand was so much cooler. We wanted, hey, <laughs> we wanted, it, we wanted that, but it does lead to difficulty in in finding us sometimes. <laughs> just a little bit. I mean, you can find it either way. Just I just found that it was a more direct route to use the ampersand. To find the drug. Excellent, excellent. Um, now, I, if I I think maybe if it works for you, we'll go out on track five. Okay. But before we did that, I did want to also ask you, I noticed while sort of digging around the internet that you played a solo with the Chieftains. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was that like? I mean, I saw you standing (laughs) next to a legend, you know? Yeah. What was that like? Um, It was, I I know this is going to sound like really cheesy and like what, you know, just kind of trite, but it was one of the greatest nights of my life. It was great. Um, Because I... Michael, you and I are... (laughs) Part of the same tribe in this, you know, and so are all the listeners. So none of us thinks that's cheesy. We are all yeah. surely tearing up right now, just <laughs> imagining the experience. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, so I grew up. My sister Laura, who I was just was saying, did the artwork for Rise and Go. She's um, she's a little bit older than I am, and um, she was really in Irish music. Um, long before I was and so I was exposed to so much good music because of her Um, and and she even though she is not a musician herself I owe a lot of my musical life to to her and her Mm -hmm. influence Um, and anyway as part of that the Chieftains were just this massive part of my sound soundtrack of my my growing up and um, you know my whole life Um, so anyway they they had this really special place in my heart and then as I learned to play the Illin Pipes and got more and more into Irish music. It was like I had this uh, another complete um, rediscovering of them, and just on a whole new level. And and yeah, they just incredible importance to me. So uh, it was when I was in graduate school. So it was probably around 2013, somewhere in there. Um, they were the Chieftains were doing their 50th anniversary tour, and the tour was gonna one of the stops on the tour was gonna be in Utica, in my hometown. And at that time, they were, everywhere they went, they were inviting a local pipe band to play a set or two with them mm-hmm. um, because they had a couple sets that they had recorded with, with Highland Pipes. So they would call on the local pipe band to, to sort of do that. So um, our band got contacted to do that. I remember sitting in the, the graduate student lounge uh, in graduate school, and I got the email from uh, my friend Jim, who runs the Frasers saying that they've gotten this call is anybody interested and i you know um you can attest james that i'm not the fastest at responding to emails (laughs) but i i responded to that email with blazing speed um you know count me in so so anyway we put a group together the concert 
um, happened. I, I went home to Utica to be a part of the, this group from the Frasers who did it. And Jim was kind enough at that time. You know, he, he was in charge. He was the boss man. But he said, um, why don't you run things today? Um, wow. You know, he, he said, well, it'd be great for you. You'll get a chance to talk to Patty Maloney. And he, and he was really kind of him. And he, he sort of handed the reins over to me for the day. So we, we go for the rehearsal in the afternoon just to, to run through things. And um, it all goes great, you know. Um, and got to sort of deal with Patty Maloney. Yeah. And at the end, at the end of it, uh, the rehearsal was done, and you know, thanks everybody. We'll see you back at whatever time. And I, before he ran off, I, I went over to him and I just over to Patty Maloney, and I just you know thanked him for um, you know all the great music and, and the huge influence he'd been. And you know, he was very, very humble about it and, and sort of uh, self-deprecating. And uh, as every every Illin piper you know says uh, when you sort of compliment them in their piping, he says, "Oh, you know, the pipes don't really like being on tour, and you know they're not playing that great, and blah 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 yeah, blah." Course, yeah. uh, but you know, he was just so so kind about it, and it was just so really magical to get to meet him. And then as we're as I'm I'm about to walk away and say thank you, he said, "You know, would you like to play a, a little solo bit in the concert tonight?" Um, and I, you know. Uh, almost needed a, a change of pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to be honest, at that time, you know, I was in graduate school. I really was not playing the pipes with sort, any sort regularity. Of that, that peak performance, really. Yeah, yeah, I was. I hadn't probably touched them in, in longer than I'd care to admit. So I was not only nervous for the opportunity, but like, oh, what am I gonna do? Yeah. Um, you know. But I said yes, and um, then Ran went off. Breaking a reed. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, kind of spent the next little while thinking, what can I play that would sort of be up to snuff, but that I know that I won't fall to pieces over. Right, yeah. um, and and just picked a couple of of reels um, that that fit in well, but. Um, but it was, yeah, it was incredibly nerve-wracking, but just just the whole thing, not, not even just getting to play the solo, just like standing in the wings and getting to watch them play, and just these people who had held such a, a high place in my, my whole life, you know, getting to watch them from, from such a close distance and listening to yeah. them, it was, it was absolutely incredible, and I'll be forever thankful for it. No, it, it sounds amazing. That's really yeah. cool. Yep. Now, um... Track five seems to me like a, a lovely thing to kind of like fade out on. It's just like a really pretty sort of, I mean, it's, it's like a fiddle feature, right? You got some whistle mm. in there and stuff too. Um, this is, they took my wife from me last okay. night. Yep. It's an evocative title. If there's not anything to say about it, no sweat. We can, we can glide out. But uh, mm. is there anything, any story behind this tune? Um, the tune itself comes, we found it anyway, in the Patrick McDonald collection, which is an old um, collection of tunes from the Highlands. Um, yeah, like my, my, my buddy Jeremy mentions that collection uh, now and again on his on his Hit okay. and History podcast. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so we had found it in there, and it's it's uh, marked as a Strathspey in that. So you know, you can imagine that that immediately gives you an idea of of a certain tempo and yeah. um, style. But I, I think Ellie was the one actually who found that and uh, said, I think this would work really well as a, as a slow tune. Um, and so that's kind of how we we approached it. In terms of the the title, um, I I don't know too much about it, um, you know, any story or history of it. I will say though, there's um, Angus Grant is a, a kind of a legendary Scottish fiddler, and he has a collection of tunes, you know, traditional tunes in that his settings of them, um, and he has it in in that book as well, and. 
he very much takes it as since it's a Strath Spey, it's meant to be played kind of up tempo, mm. and he takes the approach that uh, they took my wife from me last night, and so there was a party afterwards oh, because I it was see. you know it was kind of up tempo and, and kind of a, a lively tune, yeah. whereas we took the complete opposite uh, <laughs> approach to it yeah. as you know that it was not a good thing uh, that that he was not happy to see her go, um, but uh, but it, it, interesting though to think about how. Uh, a tune can be interpreted so completely opposite um, and, and be played in different ways but yeah <laughs> well it, it, it works it's, it's lovely I, I like the way you did it I'll have to look up the, the party version and see how it yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly 